0: You're listening to the Empty Stringers podcast where every week we talk about locating, catching and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, lady and gentlemen. I say that because there's probably only one lady listening, and that's probably my mom. So, hi, Mom. I'm back. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. We're going to talk about sight casting today, but I'm going to do like I always do and recap the couple of trips I have, tell you what I saw out on the water, and I have a couple of hacks uh, to throw at you this week. If you are listening to this on... The normal Thursday when it comes out, then I just want you to know that I am most likely on a golf course uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. So, hoping to have a lot of fun and hoping to shoot uh, below 100. That's my goal. Just every round below 100, I'll be fine with that. I'm not a great golfer, I spend all of my spare time fishing and so going up there because my best friend and business partner he is an avid golfer and we're going on a boy's trip for his birthday so we're gonna have a good time I'm looking forward to that haven't done like a just a straight up boy's trip like this and I maybe I don't know maybe never so it's gonna be fun so let's kick off what I saw on the water After this front, I told you guys that uh, we were wondering where the redfish going to be after the front. Uh, Front came in last week, Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday was the first kind of clear up, first sunshine that we had, uh, first low wind since the front, the water started moving back up, and we were wondering if the fish were going to be way in the back or if they're going to be holding closer to deeper water. Well, I'll tell you that Chris and I went out, uh, my normal fishing buddy, Chris, we went out Thursday and the goal was to obviously catch fish, but the goal was mainly to scout because I had a customer trip the next day and I knew where the fish had been. But, and I knew where the shrimp had been. We found a ton of shrimp and we we found schooling fish the week before, but then that front came through and blew everything out. So, we started back uh, way in the back of this marsh, went as far back in the marsh as we could, and we just weren't seeing the activity that we wanted to see, but... We saw lots of seagulls back in the front part of the marsh, closer to deeper water. And the seagulls were not uh, schooling on top of reds or even trout. They were spread out, but they were dipping down, picking shrimp up out of the water. Every 10, 15 feet, they'd they'd drop down and pick up shrimp. So that told me, hey, the... uh, the shrimp have flushed back up in here but they're not all the way way to the back yet like they will be this week. This week they will be in the back. You will be able to go as far back as you want and uh, and catch fish which I know that to be true because I did some of that on Friday. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So Thursday we go way way back to the back. Nothing's there. We're seeing some activity. Up closer to deeper water. So we uh, head up that direction and we catch two fish. Uh, and I'm so how long did we spend back there? Well, 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes way in the back. And you could just tell there nothing was happening. There were no swirls. There were no uh, bait uh, scattering, you know, shrimp scattering, nothing. There were no birds. And so we moved on up closer to the front and Chris uh, caught a redfish right off of the a grassy island. He crawled up on the platform and I moved to the bow and a seagull, uh, just one random seagull came down and dipped down and picked up a shrimp about 30 feet from uh, where we were. I saw a redfish swirl as that seagull got close. I threw over there, nailed that redfish, so we had two redfish in the boat by 7.45. So we're like, hey, it's looking good. Well, then we kind of hit a, a little bit of a slowdown. And we were near deep water in a very marshy area, near a major inlet to the marsh uh, where the water was deep. And when I say near, what do I mean? I mean, we're fishing 200 yards from it. You know, two, three hundred yards at most. And we're working our way towards it mainly because of the wind. If the wind had been blown a different way, we would have started at the deep hole and worked our, ourselves away from it. But <clears throat> we had a beautiful situation with the wind at our back, sun in our back. So we did that. Uh, got over to a different area closer to, to deep water. And uh, Chris caught another redfish. We saw this redfish uh in about a foot and a half of water and he was up on the very top of the water column nosing up into the grass and uh then he kind of disappeared on us we we were both throwing all along that area chris popped him on about the third or fourth cast and so we had three redfish in the boat well we uh all fish released of course but we got uh we got over, in fact, I think Chris might have kept a redfish that day. I can't remember once in a while we'll keep one. It's just pretty rare. uh, so the sun got up, and the water was nice and clear, but the wind had picked up. It was probably blowing around twelve twelve fourteen miles an hour, and so we had a place we wanted to go where we knew the water was going to be even clear, and we wanted to try to sight cast with the sun up and so that's what we did went to this new place also near deep water because that was the theme of the day we wanted to stay close to deep water but we wanted to we wanted to fish in really shallow water as shallow as we could get a foot eight inches whatever but we wanted to be near deep water and second place we went and it was on it was on we saw redfish after redfish, after redfish, after redfish. Uh, We did not catch all of them because they were picky eaters. I think that has something to do with it being after the front and uh, the high pressure that we had. But uh, we did catch fish. I think we ended uh, the day with eight or nine redfish and several other bycatches. Uh, I can't remember what they were, but, but that was the day. It was great. We had a blast. We had a kayaker uh, in a narrow channel uh, pedal over. I'm pulling through this narrow channel. And a kayaker um, comes through this cut and parks right in front of us. I mean, like, we, we were pretty dang close to being able to hit him with a cast. And uh, he never said a word to us and just thought it was cool but i got the feeling based on his setup and just the way he was fishing that he had no idea that he was doing anything wrong and so just tried to cut him some slack we went around him and went on about our business and and uh we caught a lot of fish over in that area so so we had a great day uh the next day we had i had uh customers on the boat And I made an adjustment because I knew we kind of watched almost in real time, the bait pushing to the back of the marshes. A lot of times when the tide is going out, um, this is something that Scott Knoll has always told me. It's something that an old timer told him. But when the redfish are going, when the tide is going out, the redfish are going in and I think that is also true of the shrimp in a lot of cases. Uh, the shrimp are searching for high ground. They're searching for, uh, for grass lines to, to anchor up to. They will anchor themselves down in the mud uh, while that water is humming out so that they don't get sucked out with it. And we could see birds moving their way back and starting to do their normal thing. And so the next day, when I had uh, Tim, uh, Tim and Chris, a different Chris, uh, but I had customers, Tim and Chris, on the boat. Uh, Tim, great bass fisherman, accurate caster. uh, Chris, who had grown up fishing and done a lot of fishing, but just work life gets busy with kids and, uh, you know, all the things going on. He was a bit rusty and, uh, but was great at handling the bait caster and, uh, could cast well. It's just, you know how it is when you haven't been out for a while. Heck, I've spent so much time on the platform. When I went with Chris the day before, uh, I was, I felt rusty. Uh, you know, I mean, it just, you you blow some cast you do it's something you need to do on a regular basis to maintain your proficiency at and especially this time of year when we uh when we get into a lot of sight casting it becomes a make or break kind of situation but w- we'll get into that and so when I had Tim and Chris on the boat we started near deeper water and uh didn't have any luck caught a few trout and uh pushed our way back To some ultra shallow water in the very back of the marsh, like as far back as you can literally get your boat. And we found redfish because the water uh, levels have been up. Our low tides have been around a foot. Our high tides have been around two uh, two foot. And so because of that, you can get way back to some places. And that's what we did. And when you get out of those main lake areas and you push way back in these little marshy cuts and creeks, uh, the wind doesn't affect your visibility on the water so much. So it's easier to see the fish. You've got fish in a barrel, basically. If you can just be quiet, move slowly, you can get some good sight casting opportunities. So we got there way back in the back. We chased quite a few redfish in these little marshy pockets and ended up catching two of them. And then as we pulled out of the uh, mouth of this little marsh pocket, uh, Tim hooked up with another. So at this point, Tim had lost two redfish. He's boated three redfish, I think. Um, We move on around, he boats another, a fourth. Uh, Chris gets a, Chris has already caught a trout and he catches a flounder, but he hasn't caught a redfish yet. And it's starting to become annoying that Tim is catching all these redfish and Chris is not, right? So Chris is uh, is the one that's kind of uh, new. It's first time throwing artificial lures in saltwater. So this is music to my ears. I love that. I love to share the marsh and the whole experience with people that haven't done it. So I'm amped up. My whole goal now is, look, Tim's having a great morning I gotta find a redfish for Chris. We gotta put him on a redfish. So I'm thinking we're gonna go back to where uh, me and uh, and Chris Colin went yesterday. So when the sun gets high, and so here's the thing: this is what this is a little you know rabbit hole, but it's all about being on the water, right? You cannot substitute for time on the water, and this is a great example. There is an area, area where me and Chris went uh, on Thursday. I have been, I frequent this area, but I don't go there all the time. It It is a special circumstance type of area to go to. It's one of those places where if I told you, oh man, we've been killing it in this spot. Well, if you show up at the wrong time, you're not going to kill it there. In fact, it gets really difficult to fish in certain conditions, but if the wind is right and the tide is right, so this particular area, I know that when the tide gets down to, if we're on a falling tide, when the rail bridge is saying about 1.2 and we're on the MLLW and we've got a falling tide, I stop whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm at, and I head to this area. And I creep along the edges because there are certain areas that flood at high tide that fall out when you get to about the foot mark. And I know that I want to be at an exact location when we hit the foot mark on the tide scale. And four times in a row, I have met, like ran into a school of redfish, the same school of redfish, leaving this flooded area because it's gotten too shallow for them to be back there. I have met them at the mouth of this spillway uh, four times now. And so that is not by accident. Now there has been some luck involved because I mean, I could have been 30 seconds late any of these times and missed that school to fish completely. Right. It would be like, you go into the office every day and you go get coffee at the coffee maker uh every day at 9:03 and you and random coworker just happen to meet there uh you know three times this week at 9:03 and you're like oh man that's really random that's what me and this group of redfish have been doing but it wasn't random i'm doing it on purpose i've just had some skill and a lot of luck to do it because i know at what level i've i've spent the time on the water and i know at what level this little back flooded area gets too shallow for the fish. And so i know that if i'm at the at the mouth of this area when it gets that low all the fish that go in there when it's flooded have to come out. And I know that some are going to go out one way and some are going to go out another way. But I know this one particular group has been coming out. And I learned that by seeing them there the first time and going, okay. I immediately pull my phone out and I look at what the tide level is at the bridge. I go, okay, cool. If the tide is there at the bridge, that's my marker. What what direction was the wind? What was this doing? All this kind of stuff, right? And then I go and put that to the test. And the second time I showed up, there they were again. And I'm like, oh, man, what a coincidence. I met this same school of fish. Uh, I know it was the same school because I caught fish off that school both times. And they were dang near identical. So the third time I'm thinking there's no way that's going to happen. But it happened. And then now Friday, uh, no, Thursday. Thursday was the uh the third time with Chris. Friday was the fourth time with Tim and Chris. And so Tim caught a school uh a fish off of that school. Uh he had also caught another fish um milling around that that area. So Tim's tracking up. He's got six or seven redfish in the boat by now. And I am not leaving until I get uh our our Client and friend chris um a redfish, I just can't leave until he catches a redfish, but we've at this point it's getting late in the day, we've exhausted uh a lot of opportunities what well, we've had some really cool sight casting opportunities I mean like crystal clear water, got a great look at the redfish, got to watch some of them eat, and we've had a really fun day. But I'm like, man, I'm gonna feel like a complete failure if I don't get this guy a redfish, and so we're pushing along, and we're we're getting pretty close to the end of like where I, I where I stop, and we're gonna pack it up and go home. And thank God he chunks out there, and unbeknownst to us, he lands a foot from a redfish, and that redfish crushes it, and Chris gets his redfish, and uh, so he got a slam his first time throwing lures in the salt and he caught a slam and uh his buddy tim tore it up as as tim always does on on my boat it seems to be uh he uh he had a great day and those guys are just fun uh to be on the water i gotta tell you chris even though he uh he struggled and didn't catch as many fish as tim chris was patient and he paid attention and you could see him putting the puzzle together as we went along uh, throughout the day. And a guy like that is going to come out, and by the third or fourth time he's out, he's going to be slaying it. And so hope I get to fish with uh with, with him again. But we're in sight casting, the sight casting time of year. I did not see – I only saw two schools of fish – uh on friday zero schools on thursday we caught about the same number of fish both days but i'm not seeing the schools that we saw before the front push through i think that's going to change now that w- this week as you're listening to this podcast the weather has warmed up quite a bit the tide is doing about the same thing it was doing before and I think that because of the sustained high water levels, we're going to start to see schools in the back marshes again. So I think that's coming back. I think that's going to last on through uh, early December. And then, eh, you know, you get a couple, two or three more of these fronts come through. And and at some point, the hatches are going to stop. And when the shrimp hatches stop and we'll get that final flush out, uh, then... You know, we're going to be left with some redfish in the back, but they're not going to be schooling. They're not going to be chasing, uh, you know, big clouds of shrimp like they're doing, like I expect them to do this week. So uh, water temp this week has been from 55 degrees early morning, getting as high as uh, 65, 68, because that sun is coming out and uh, and heating up those flats really quickly. I've had a lot of success over uh, mud and a lot of success over sand. And if you can find sandy areas that are holding shrimp, you typically get clearer water. It's just more fun to sight cast in that stuff. Uh, But if you can find ultra shallow marsh pockets, like little creeks that lead to tiny back ponds and stuff, and you know there's been shrimp in the area, here's a key to know there's shrimp in the area, you know what I'm gonna say. Shorebirds, look for the shorebirds. Look for the ibises. Even if you don't have snowy egrets, an ibis will tell you that there's shrimp in the area. Okay, that's what they're eating right now. An ibis isn't hanging out anywhere where there's not shrimp. So, uh, but don't confuse their their nesting and roosting with them up and eating. Just because they're roosting in an area doesn't mean there's shrimp in that area. They just pick that area to sleep and nest and then they'll fly out in the morning and they'll go find their their places they're going to hunt down shrimp. So be cognizant of that. Uh, a lot of guys this time of year, they won't even launch their skiff till nine o'clock because they want to sight fish the whole time. Nothing wrong with that, but I my schedule will not allow me to stay on the water till three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I have to be off the water by, you know, one or two o'clock. So, uh, if not earlier someday, so I, uh, I like to get there early because even though you're blind casting for the first couple of hours, we usually have some luck in those first couple of hours and, and boat a couple of fish. And so that's what I do. Uh, if you are sight casting this time of year, which most of us will, I cannot, I'm just going to give you a couple of of hacks. If you are looking at the fish when you go to cast, even though you are trying to lead them with the cast and not put it right on their head, if your eyes are locked on that fish, uh, you're probably going to hit it with your cast or you're going to hit too close to it. You have to discipline yourself to take your eyes off of the fish and move three, four feet to the left or right or wherever and and put your lure out in front of the fish. When I'm throwing paddle tails, I am re- straight reeling that paddle tail in front of that fish. And if he doesn't eat, my next cast, if I know he got a good look at it and he didn't eat, maybe he responded and looked at it, followed it for a second and then quit on it. My second cast, I'm throwing out I'm reeling it along the same path, and when I get it in front of him, I'm dropping it like it died. I'm dropping it, letting it sit on the bottom. If he investigates, I'm ever so slightly wiggling that bait, and then he likely will eat, okay? Uh, I am also, you guys that are beating the war drum over the leaders, listen, I am fishing, uh, at least this past week, I was fishing some areas that have crystal clear water. Go look at my Instagram and my TikTok for the uh, eat that we caught on camera. Chris Colin caught it on camera. He caught it in the whole video in (laughs) slow-mo. So we had to do a little editing there to to get what we wanted out of it. But go look at that video. You're not going to fish clearer water anywhere. I don't care if you're in Port O'Connor or Port Aransas. It doesn't get any clearer than that. I'm straight braid. I am straight braid. Okay? You do not have to put a leader on. That fish, That if you go look at that video, that fish is in a small, tiny creek. Again, you go check that creek at a different tide level, you're not going to find uh, fish or you, because they're going to be pushed way far back up to where we can't even get with the boat or a kayak. But there's a particular time, a particular tide level where they start to come out. They patrol that creek, and then they spill out of it as it gets lower. So that's why we were up in that little creek, saw the fish coming. He didn't know we were there. Casted a good 10 feet out in front of him and waited. And as he got closer to that bait, I just wiggled it on the bottom, and he went nuts for it and ate it. If I'm throwing a fly, um... I'm not going to pretend like I know what the heck I'm doing because I I uh, I'm still new to this world and my uh, eat ratio on the fly is not very good right now. I'm getting a lot of refusals and I'm not sure why. So I'm just figuring it out. I uh, I've seen enough eats on my boat. I've had enough fly fishermen catch lots of redfish on my boat. So I I get to see. Uh, the different presentations, the different colors, the different styles. I had a purple shrimp imitation tied on. I thought that was the ticket because they've been just scarfing it. I had that same school of redfish that I was telling you about a minute ago coming out of this, the mouth of this area, and I put uh, what I consider to be a pretty good cast in front of fish number one. He turned his nose at it. He was disgusted at it. I threw in front of I picked it right up and threw back in front of fish number two. Fish number two followed it and never ate it. And I think that was all my fault because when I get a red fish in front of me and I'm holding a fly rod, it's as if I have a twelve point buck um, you know, standing broadside at 30 yards. I get I get redfish fever. I I have caught I have caught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of redfish, but I have not caught very many on the fly and it is like the new obsession for me, and it's what gives me it's what gives me the the redfish fever, and I love it and I make mistakes when I have red a redfish in front of me, and I'm holding a fly rod. I just do, and I did, and uh I don't think i I stripped when I should have stripped. I don't think I paused when I should have paused and he just turned off of it. So, uh, but with a paddle tail, um, my confidence goes way up and, uh, sometimes they're just not going to eat. Look, I have another video on Instagram and TikTok that is in the same Creek that I threw in front of. I made a good cast. I made a good presentation. The fish freaked out. I think he saw the boat. He got a little too close to us. And uh, he changed zip codes. So if you think you're going to do it, all the things right and get the same reaction every time, you're wrong. Each fish is different. You can pull a flat and there's going to be a fish tailing. And then you move up 50 yards and you're going to find another fish that's just cruising. Or you're going to find two fish cruising together and they're eating. And then you're going to find one fish tucked up against the grass doing nothing. Uh, just sitting there. And so each fish is a little different. They're not all going to act the same. It all matters too on, did they just get done eating? Because I think, I think that once they have a decent meal, they go sit in the mud, they go tuck up into the grass and they just sit there and sleep and digest their food. And that fish is not going to eat. You're more likely to roll over him with the boat and spook him off. So, that's just, uh, that's my two cents on that deal. Um, here's another little, another little hack that I'll give you that I do at the end of my trips. And this is more for you guys on skiffs or boats. You still could work with, uh, still could work with a kayak. It's just out of your way. And usually by the time you're done fishing on your kayak, you just want to get back to the launch. You don't want to go way out of your way to scout an area, but When I'm on my way home in the boat, I don't take the path that is the fastest. I usually am taking a path through a different area, a different marshy area that I'm scouting. And what I like to do, days like we've had recently where we have a continuously falling tide, they're great for this because there are areas, I like to look for areas that are so shallow that you can barely run your boat back there. Because if I can barely run my boat back there, that means a redfish can barely be covered by the water. Which means if you find redfish in those ultra, ultra shallow areas, six inches, four inches, uh, and the tide has gone out and they stayed there, that so I'm running the boat through and I see a wake, or I actually the water's clear and I, I, can visibly see a redfish but a lot of times you'll see their wakes you'll spook them off in particular areas I take a mental note and I go look those redfish did not leave with the tide what does that tell me? that tells me there's a plentiful amount of food back here for them so they don't feel like they need to leave and go anywhere they feel safe back here even in this ultra shallow water and so I know that I can go back and find those fish and those places become my Hail Mary, like the tide's gone out, we've had a tough day, I need to go see a fish so that I can put a lure in front of him, I'm going to those areas because I know that the fish have stayed there and even when that tide is blown out, I have a high probability of finding a fish in that area. So uh, that is what I do. Now, uh, that's pretty much all I got for you on the fishing side this week. If you're going out, it's going to be your normal. It's I'm absolutely dying inside. I know you don't feel bad for me. I'm going to be golfing instead of fishing. I get it. You hate my guts. I I would too. But Look at the wind on Friday. Oh, it is perfect. Friday is looking perfect. So if I'm you, I'm calling in sick and I'm going fishing on Friday. So that's what I would do. And uh, I think if you you do that and you're going to fly fish, all the better. Friday looks like it was made for fly fishing. So go do that. Catch some fish. Let's get into the Bible tidbit. Okay, so this week we're going to do something that's uh, maybe a little different than the normal Bible tidbit. Because of all of the things happening in Israel, there are a lot of questions surrounding that scenario. Uh, Let me say on that, first off, I do not believe there are some, I think I said this a a week or two ago, there are some TV evangelists out there, you know, claiming that... uh, that the Bible predicts this and it's part of some fulfillment of prophecy, that's ridiculous. Uh, The Bible does predict that there will be, as they say in Matthew, wars and rumors of wars, right? It's not a specific fulfillment of any one war prophecy in the Bible. So uh, when you hear that, just know that whoever is saying that is taking great lengths, uh, being very uh, liberal with their connecting of the dots, scripturally, theologically speaking. Okay. Now, having said that, there's this is nothing new for the history of Israel. It has been happening uh since they were very uh, you know the very first a people of god or a nation state so one of the questions that's come to mind and that's been a topic among uh, me and my friends why does everyone hate israel so much why is there such an embedded vitriolic hate for uh, Jews and israel in general well I cannot explain all of it, but I'm going to at least try to give you a very condensed biblical context for it, okay? And it's going to be, I'm going off the top of my head, so it's going to be difficult, and I hope I don't get any of this wrong, but here we go. In the days of um, Abraham, God... Abraham was a moon worshiper, okay? He was a Chaldean. God calls him, plucks him from nothing and says, hey, you are the chosen one. I'm going to turn you into a great nation and I'm going to give you a son. And they don't believe that that's possible, him and his wife, Sarah, and because they're old. Well, uh, they wait around for that promise to come true and it's taken a little too long for them. And so uh, Abraham takes his maidservant and knocks her up and she gets pregnant with a son. And before that son is born, God tells Abraham, he will be a donkey of a man. Every man's hand will be against his and his his hand will be against every man's. Okay. It's not a great proclamation to be made about someone before they're born. He has the son, uh, Hagar, the maidservant, has the son. They name him Ishmael. A few years later, uh, Abraham gets his wife, Sarah, pregnant, and that uh, child is Isaac. Isaac is the chosen child that the promise of God will be delivered through. But God promises Hagar and Ishmael that, hey, uh, I'm going to turn you into a great nation also. And so... Uh, when Ishmael's about 13, he's poking fun at Isaac and they have a little spat and, uh, Sarah, mother of Isaac, the chosen child gets angry and tells Abraham, Hey, banish, uh, this slave woman and her child because I'm tired of her messing with my baby boy. And Abraham is in a pretty tight pickle, but he does what Sarah asked him to do. And banishes them. Well, God takes care of them. They end up moving into the desert of Paran, which is basically south of Israel. And uh, Ishmael goes on to be the father of a great nation. He has twelve sons. That's important. Twelve sons. Okay. Isaac goes on to have twin boys. Jacob and Esau, before Esau is born, uh, before Jacob and Esau are born, God tells Isaac, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated before they were born. God had already chosen who they were going to be, what they were going to do. So Jacob and Esau, uh, I won't go into the whole story, but their relationship is strained. Esau moves off to the land of Edom, and he and him and his people, his descendants, uh, inhabit the land of Edom, which is in modern-day northern, uh, northwestern tip of Saudi Arabia. Okay, which neighbors the desert of Paran, which is south of Israel. All right, Um, you have. So you have two people groups now. You have Ishmael, he has 12 sons. You have Esau, becomes the inhabitant of the land of Edom. Those two people groups hate Israel. They've hated Israel um, since day one. Jacob, the promised son, the twin brother to Esau, Jacob is the one that God says, uh, through Jacob, my promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. So Jacob has his name changed. God changes his name to Israel. Israel has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. So from day one, not only when they become a nation and a people group, but even whenever Israel was a singular person, He had people that already hated him. Ishmael and his 12 sons and uh, Esau and all of his descendants, if you read through the story and their interactions with each other, they had bad blood from day one. There was enmity put between those people and those people groups, much like How we started in very beginning of Bible tidbit number one that I did on this podcast with Genesis chapter three, verses uh, 16, I think it is, the Proto-Evangelium, where you have the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman ultimately being Christ, but all throughout the lineage of the Bible, you have these people that have been set apart through which God's promise will be carried out through. You have Abraham. Isaac Jacob, okay, and in the offspring of these others, you can you can see the disobedience you you also before that had Cain and Abel and all that stuff, right? Uh, but uh, this is a tidbit, not a sermon, so i'm I'm trying to keep it condensed. but if you if you follow uh, Israel's history through biblical times, you see that they disobey God. And God causes them to be defeated and conquered in battle by neighboring people groups. Uh, And that could be the the Babylonians, the Persians, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, all all of those people groups are coming from uh, offshoots and branches of uh, the Ishmaelites and the people in Edom, okay? It all originates back there. And so, you can follow it throughout, and if you go read the book of uh, Obadiah, it is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's super easy to read. It's one chapter, 20-something verses. It is all about the fact that, you know, the Edomites who came from Esau share a bloodline with Israel, and when the Babylonians came and conquered Israel and plundered them and led the exiles away to captivity, the Edomites didn't do anything about it. In fact, rather than helping defend their brothers, the Israelites, they took advantage of them in their weak moment and they plundered them as well, took their loot, took their stuff, uh, exercised revenge on them. And the book of Obadiah, is about the judgment that's coming for the Edomites because of their lack of support for them in that time. So I hope that that gives you some historical context to why Israel is what it is. If you you want to look at modern day times and what happened after world war II, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Everyone after World War II was like, basically, look, everyone hates the Jews. They need their own country to be able to defend themselves and to have their own safe haven. And the Great Britain owned that piece of land. They had colonized that piece of land uh, and they gave it to Israel. Uh, They gave it back to Israel. It's the land that they inhabited back in biblical days. They gave it back to them. So Israel didn't go take anyone's land. It was... uh, it was Great Britain that said, look, we have control over this land. It's historically been yours. We're giving it back to you. Okay. And the conflict has ensued since then. And I won't get into all that, but, uh, so that's it folks. That's a, that's just a little bit of a biblical, um, account of the the history long before we ever, uh, were around. So gives you a little bit of perspective there. I hope that you guys have a great week. I hope that you go out and catch some fish. If you want to get a hold of me, uh you can do that at emptystringers at gmail.com, empty underscore stringers on Instagram and at empty stringers on TikTok. If you want to book a trip, I have some dates available. Uh I think I have a couple toward the end of November and I have some December dates wide open. Go to cappedmatparish.com and book your trip. It's very easy. You can also book a stay at the Airbnb where I keep the boat, which is where we're going to launch from if you book me on a trip. So go book the trip, uh, go um, book the house and you can go stay down there and fish. It'll be amazing. We'll have a good time. If you're going fishing with me and you have a trip booked with me, uh, I've noticed, I just probably need to, I need to say this. Not everyone is as forthcoming with it. I, I try to communicate beforehand and try to get out of folks like, what do you really want out of this trip? I want to know, like, truly, what do you want to get out of the trip? I know we're there to catch fish, but if there's a specific thing that that you want to know, a specific area you want to look at, a specific technique, um, just whatever it is, let me know. I am, uh, you know, I'm I'm there to... For you to get out of more more than just a, a fish on the end of your line for that trip. So, y'all have a good week, and uh, I'll be back in the saddle next week out on the skiff, letting you know what's up, and we'll talk to you then.